raft and the rafters didn't come down. So that, I guess that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, joy's a choice, isn't it? And uh, some days are maybe we're a little more up and some days we're a little more down, but we can still choose joy every day. And uh, so that's, uh, that's encouraging. We're going to read some scripture uh, from Joshua chapter 7. We've been in the book of Joshua for maybe six or seven weeks now. And uh, we're just going to read a little snippet of Joshua chapter 7 verses 19 through 23. If you kind of grew up in the church, this story will be familiar uh, to you. The story of Achan, also known as uh, Taken Achan. So let's, uh, let's read about it. Uh, nine, verse 19, Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, it's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, in the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua, and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. We'll look at what happens next in uh, just a few minutes, but let's, uh, let's pray this morning, shall we? Father, thank you that we can be here today um, on this uh, sunny but windy day, uh, this first Sunday in March. Lord, you know everything that is going on in our lives. Lord, for some of us, we're encouraged and things are going well. Lord, for others, um, we're going through some struggles, and you know all about those as well, some challenges, uh, some so deep that we don't dare even maybe share with other people. Lord, thank you that um, we can choose joy today. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, this time of worship. Open up our hearts to your word today, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in Joshua chapter 7 this morning. We looked at Joshua chapter 6 last week. And uh, so I want to play just a little couple-minute snippet uh, before we get into our message. And uh, some of you, most of you, I would say if you're over 30, which is most of you this morning, uh, you'll you'll recognize this. Um, This fellow's name that we're going to focus in on here is named Vinko... Bogotage. I was going to give a prize award if anybody knew who he was, but uh, we're going to find out who Vinko Bogotage was because um, it kind of applies to the title of our sermon. You remember Wide World of Sports? This was before ESPN, 1961 to 1998, and it was on Saturday afternoon, and they played this introduction every Saturday afternoon about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and uh, let's uh, let's watch it. Our program it would have on one side the thrill of victory, and on the other, its inevitable companion, the agony of defeat. And as long as wide world of sports and viewers, that will always be the breathtaking leap of Vinko Bogota. Vinko owns a special, if negative, place in American sport. 
a prominence he never found in his homeland. He lives a quiet life in northern Yugoslavia, a husband, father of two teenage daughters. He remains involved in ski jumping, but the great love of his life is now painting. The walls of his home are covered with paintings of his native Slovenia. But Vinko's historic jump is two countries away in Oberstdorf, Germany. 21 years later, he finally returned to the place where he became famous by accident. Now we go to Vinko Bogataz, the Yugoslavian, the youngster. With inexperience, he fell on his first jump. A lot of speed in that track. Now look, oh, at look at him go! Oh, oh. oh baby! What a terrible fall! Vinko has replayed that nightmare jump thousands of times in his mind, about as many times as it has opened wide world. He'll never know for sure what went wrong, but it has taught him the most basic rule of sport. The difference between victory and defeat in sports is well said in the thoughts of Jim McKay. Because the difference between the two can be very slight. All sportsmen should know that. And he remembers his earlier jump that fateful day, perhaps the leap of a lifetime. Not a nightmare, but a dream come true. A big jump for Vinko Bogataz. He's looking up at his 410 feet. That's Vinko Bogataz, and uh, he uh, he got back up on those skis and uh, and jumped uh, jumped again. I take my hat off to him. But uh, he's known for that fall, and so uh, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and that's really where we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. Last week, Joshua chapter 6 was the thrill of victory, uh, the battle of Jericho, and uh, this morning we're going to look at Joshua chapter 7, which is uh, the agony of defeat. And uh, so let's, uh, let's begin by looking at our outline, and then we'll uh, conclude with some uh, life lessons from Joshua chapter 7. So here we go, uh, Joshua chapter 7, and uh, we begin with the sin, the sin. And let's read, um, let's read Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. Let's start at the last part of uh, chapter 6, verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. So the battle of Jericho and uh, Joshua's name spread through the land about this great victory that the Israelites won in that battle of Jericho. And then we come to chapter 7, and it starts with the word but, that little conjunction, that little word, and uh, a contrast word, and here's what happened but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So remember the Lord's instruction to Joshua and the nation of Israel in uh, the battle of Jericho, that normally when you conquered a city, when you conquered someone, you were able to take the spoils as part of uh, a reward for your victory. But God said to Joshua, this first battle, I want you to give all the spoils to God. I want you to take the gold and the silver, put it in the treasury of the temple, and I want you to burn everything else. That's the principle of first fruits. This first victory belongs to me. And uh, in Joshua 6, verses 18 through 19, the specific instructions Keep away from the devoted things. Don't take any spoils so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking them. 
Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So God was very specific, very pointed with Joshua and the Israelites that when they conquered Jericho, don't take any spoils. But as we just read, uh, there was someone who did not follow those instructions, and we're going to meet him in in a little bit, and his name is given uh, in verse 1, Achan, and he becomes the central figure here in Joshua uh, chapter 7. So let's continue with our outline. Uh, Next is the spies, the spies. So we've got this little tidbit of information in chapter 7, verse 1, that really nobody knows about right at this point except God. And so now the Israelites are ready to go into battle number two. And here's Joshua's modus operandi. As you read through the book of Joshua, he sends spies to look at the city and get some military intelligence and find out what we're up against, and then they go in and conquer it. He did that with Jericho, and he does that again here with Ai. So it says, Joshua sent men from Jerusalem to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So they send out the spies. They look at Ai, and the spies come back and tell Joshua, hey, we, we don't need that many guys. Uh, this is a small city. There's not a lot of people there. And so don't, don't waste the energy of the whole army. Just take two or 3,000 men, and we will easily conquer Ai. Well, the uh, next section here is the surprise defeat, because here's what happened. Verse 4 and 5, so about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. This is a total shock to, to Joshua and the nation of Israel. I mean, their, their mindset was that uh, we've won this great battle against Jericho, this walled city. We're going to easily take care of Ai. And as we just read, they came back with their tails between their legs. Uh, they suffered some losses, some military losses, and the army of Ai chased them, chased them back. And, and it was a, a total shock and surprise. And verse... Um, Five, the end of verse 5 says, At this the hearts of the Israelites, the people melted in fear and became like water. Same phrase was used earlier in Joshua chapter 5 verse 1 to describe the Canaanites after the battle of Jericho was won. Uh, they were gripped with fear. And so here's the surprise defeat. And now we read about the sorrow of Joshua. The sorrow of Joshua General Joshua is devastated. Let's read about three things that took place here as he expresses this sorrow. When Joshua tore his clothes, and that was an Old Testament expression of of sorrow and and weeping and mourning. Uh, We read about in the book of Job, of of Job rending and tearing his clothes and his robes. 
Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So he tears his clothes, he finds the ark of the covenant, and he's face down before the ark of the covenant, symbolizing God's presence. And what's interesting, and just a little detail, he stays there till evening. <laughs> he's not just there for a little while, he, he stays there until evening. And it says the elders of Israel did the same, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And so he tears his clothes, he falls face down before the Ark of the Covenant, he stays there for a long time till evening. The leadership of Israel is doing the same. They're sprinkling dust on their heads. And now Joshua has some questions forgotten. You ever be in a, go in a, through a time period in your life of great pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, and something's going on in your life or the life of your family, and you have some questions for God? God, why? Why is this happening? Or why would you do this? And I know I've gone through some periods in my life where I've asked God why, and it's okay to ask, to ask God why. I remember very early on in, uh, in my ministry at our second church, um, we had a young couple. Names were Keith and uh, Jenny. And Keith and Jenny had a little boy, four years old. His name was Kyle. Kyle came down with adrenal cancer. And mom and dad, you know, devastated and took Kyle to all the treatments and the chemotherapy and the radiation. And I remember talking with him several times and things were not going well. And Kyle was not going this direction. He was spiraling downward and... um. I remember meeting with them, and in their pain and agony, they're asking God, why? And uh, Kyle eventually um, passed away. All funerals are hard. Funerals for four-year-olds are incredibly difficult. And here's Joshua, and he's, he's wanting to know what's happening, God, and, and, and he's asking why, verse 7, Alas, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring the people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Isn't it amazing how sometimes we go from victory and praising God, one bad thing happens, and all of a sudden, like, God, why did you even do this? You know, you just brought us over here to, to wipe all of us out? Is that what your plan is? And here's Joshua, the leader. If, if he's thinking that, the Israelites are probably thinking the same. He's asking God, why? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that the Israelites have been routed by its enemy? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. He's like, we're going to be totally destroyed. What then will you do for your own great name. And so here's Joshua, and he's asking God a lot of questions. He's asking God why the sorrow of Joshua. Well, God has a solution for this problem of what happened, how to fix it. And so God reveals to Joshua what we already know from reading verse 1, the solution to the problem, beginning in uh, verse 
10 through 13. It starts with a command. So remember, Joshua is face down before the Ark of the Covenant, and now God comes to him. The Lord says to Joshua, stand up, stand up. Time to, to stand up and kind of brush the dust off. What are you doing down on your face? Here's, here's the information, the solution. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against the enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. Exactly what God said would happen if they, if they uh, stole the, th- these things and took these devoted goods. You will bring about your own destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel says, there are devoted things among you. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. And so God reveals to Joshua the, the reason for their great defeat. Because one man, by the name of Achan, did not follow God's instructions. And uh, he said, unless this is dealt with, Israel is going to be in big trouble. And so here we uh, read about now the selection of Achan. And uh, this is a familiar story, but uh, can you imagine Achan in this process that we're going to talk about? Because Joshua brings the entire nation before him. And little by little, they begin to narrow down you know, who, who it is that, uh, that is the problem, is the troublemaker among them. Uh, reminds me of a story, and I'll just, I'll just share this. This was when I was in high school, and I went to a small private Christian school in, in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, my dad and a couple other pastors started in 1961. We had 43 students in K through third grade and added a grade each year. And uh, we actually met in the church that my dad pastored. That was, that was the school. And um, I don't remember the specific uh, details of this, but we had a small student body. There was probably like a, a hundred in the high school, uh, maybe. And uh, something happened on campus, and the leadership uh, wanted to find out who the culprit was, and nobody was talking. And so at the end of the school day, they gathered uh, the whole student body in the auditorium, and they said, nobody is going home until the person that did this confesses. And we all sat there for a long, long time. And uh, actually, we sat there past the end of the school day, and I remember um, some of the bus drivers um, got a little upset because they were wanting to get on their route, and they pulled out of the parking lot, and they were kind of blowing the horn like, what's going on here? And... and uh, uh, at least that day, the person never confessed, but um, Aiken does confess because he, he has no choice. So here's, here's the selection of, of Aiken, and uh, I won't read the, um, the whole story because it kind of repeats itself. So let's, let's pick it up in uh, verse 
16. It says, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes. So 12 tribes, they come by, and Joshua says, uh, God reveals to Joshua Judah. How did God reveal that to Joshua? Well, the scriptures don't say. He could have just told him. Uh, a lot of times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they cast lots. Uh, remember when um, Judas was no longer one of the 12 apostles and they had two replacements for, for uh, Judas after Judas Iscariot uh, um, was no longer one of the 12. And how did they decide who the, the one to replace Judas? They cast lots. And uh, so maybe they're casting lots here. I, I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But so the tribes come by and they pick Judah. And then the clans come by and they pick the Zarephites out of the tribe of Judah. And then the families within the clans come by and out of the Zarephites from the tribe of Judah, they pick the family of Zimri. And uh, Achan is starting to get a little nervous, I would imagine. And he's probably sweating bullets. And then it says, Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. And so uh, Israel's population was two million at this time, approximately. They narrow this down from two million to one man. And now Joshua is face to face, eye to eye with, with Achan. And as we read in our scripture reading, he says, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And as we read, uh, Achan confesses of his sin. And uh, he tells him exactly where that uh, Babylonian uh, garment is and where the silver is and where the gold is. And he says, it's in my tent and I buried it in the ground. And the, they go and they, they uh, take the things from the tent. They bring it to Joshua, verse 23, and all the Israelites, and they spread them out before the Lord. Oh, Achan's, Achan's confession here is an interesting pattern of sin. In verse 21, he says, I saw. And then later on, he says, I coveted. I wanted it. And then I took action. I took. And James chapter 1 kind of gives us an outline of how uh, sin in our life works. In James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, and it follows that same pattern. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own lust or desire. Then after their desire or lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so there's this pattern of uh, lust or desire for something that's not right. And then that desire uh, turns into um, a sin. And sin eventually um, leads to death. And we're going to see that's what happened to Achan and so here this is uh, laid out before um, all of Israel because God wants to spend a, a message, a clear message to Israel. And uh, Achan um, has not only sinned against the Israelites, but as he confessed, he's, he sinned against God. And we see the seriousness of sin. 
because of Achan's one action, 36 military families are without their husband, without their father. There's grieving families because of the seriousness of sin. And so as we conclude the outline, that leads us to the severe punishment. And I'm going to read these three verses. And um, these verses will bother most of us when we read them about what happened. And uh, that's okay to be uh, bothered by what happened. Um, God, is a, God is a just God. Ultimately, Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God, you're just and you're holy, even though I don't understand maybe what you do sometimes. So here's what happened. Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and his daughters, his cattle, donkeys, sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Means the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why have you brought trouble upon us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And it says, then all of Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Acre ever since. The Valley of Trouble. God had the entire family of Achan killed because of one man's sin. The severe punishment. Sometimes when we have our understanding of who God is, we always need to remember that the attributes of God need to be held in tension. Yes, God is a loving God. He is a God of mercy and grace. He's long-suffering. He's loving, but he is also holy and just. And someday God will punish sin. Sin must be punished. And in this case, it was severe. Now, you may be thinking like I did when I first read this um, again, and I've known this story for many years, like, okay, God, I, I can understand, I can understand Achan being killed. Why in the world would you punish and kill his entire family and all his possessions and burn them? Well, there's a little bit of a, uh, and that's a natural question, a little bit of insight when we go to a verse in uh, the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 24, 16. I, I will uh, read this for you, and maybe it'll just give a little hint in our understanding of what possibly happened here. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents, each will die for their own sin. So the Old Testament law says that, that like if a parent deserves capital punishment, you don't kill the whole family. And vice versa, if a, if a child deserves capital punishment, you don't kill mom and dad. So why was Achan's whole family killed? And this is where we have to do a little maybe sanctified speculation and just infer. And here's, here's the in, in, inference here is that 
Achan's family was somehow complicit in Achan's sin. That this wasn't just Achan committing this. Yes, Achan was the one who, who maybe took the gold, took the silver, took the garment. But do you think maybe Achan's family might have noticed that he's digging a hole in their uh, living room floor? <laughs> and, and, and you know, maybe there's this little bit of dirt that's a little uh, ruffled and where they packed it down then. And uh, I, I think Achan's family was part of this. I think they probably had to know what their husband and father had done. And so the severe punishment, now we read about another memorial. It's all through the book of Joshua, these memorials of stones to remember what God had done. It was in in Gilgal to remember the crossing of the Jordan. And now there's a memorial to remember the sin of, of Achan and the severe punishment of sin. Well, this morning, we're just going to finish in the next 10 minutes or so by thinking about what can we learn from this story. What are some life lessons from Achan's story that uh, we can learn so we don't make the same mistakes that Achan made? Here's life lesson number one. I think I have four of them. I I added a fifth um, yesterday, so that won't be on the screen. But here's the first one. God sees all and knows all. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. In that children's song that uh, perhaps you sang or I sang uh, growing up in church, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Why? For the Father of above is looking down below. He sees and knows everything. Psalm 139 talks about um, the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God. He says, I know what you're going to say before you even say it. And I know what your thoughts are. And I know when you stand up and when you sit down and when you go to bed at night, I know everything about you. And so we recognize and realize that God knows everything. There's no such thing as secret sin. And we cannot hide our sin from God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. The author of Hebrews writes, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Oh, there's another reminder. We're going to have to give account to God. And he not only knows what we've done, but he's also going to someday evaluate our motives. This is not to get into heaven. This is going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to involve reward or loss of reward. And so God sees and knows all. Hey, that's a good lesson to teach our kids, isn't it, when they're growing up? <laughs> they can't get away. You can't get away with anything. And neither can we. God sees and knows everything. That's lesson number one. Here's here's the second one. Sin always has a ripple effect. There's always collateral damage when we sin. 
And that's right in the story, isn't it? 36 Israeli soldiers dead. 36 grieving wives. Uh, probably uh, dozens and dozens of children that are without a father. Because we never, when we sin, we never sin alone. It always affects other people. Sin has a ripple effect. And so innocent people um, get hurt in life because of the sin of somebody else. Because sin always has a ripple effect. Number three, sin is an offense to a holy God and must be confessed. Sin uh, is an offense to a holy God and must be confessed. Um, notice how Joshua confronts Achan in Joshua uh, 7.19. My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Honor him. Tell me what you have done. And then he says, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. So yes, other, other sin is against other people, but ultimately and primarily sin is against God. Remember Peter confronting Ananias and Sapphira when they lied, and he says, you haven't lied just to me, you've lied to God. And that's serious business. And so sin is an offense to a holy God and must be confessed. So I remember growing up in the church and uh, thinking about confessing our sins and um, being a little confused because uh, when I came to Christ, uh, I was told, well, all your sins are forgiven. And um, so God's buried them in the depths of the sea. He won't remember them anymore. And then I read 1 John 1, 9 that keeps saying that we need to keep confessing our sins. And like, I thought I already did that. Why do I have to keep confessing sin? So here's the difference. Um, justification is a one-time event. When we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and it says there's no more condemnation, all of our sins are forgiven, they are paid in full, amen for that. But then sanctification is our day-to-day walk with God. And so legally our standing before God is perfect, but in our day-to-day walk, guess what? we continue to sin. In fact, uh, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, and let me just uh, read it, these two verses. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So um, the confession of sin has to do with restoring our fellowship with God. It's just like a married couple. They stand before the God and a pastor and a church and they commit their vows to one another. But um, they're legally married. But sometimes there's some things that come up and fellowship can be broken and they still need to work that out. And that's our relationship with God. So um, sin is an offense to God, to holy God, and must be confessed. So the old hymn Nothing between is the title of it. it. Goes like this: Nothing between my soul and the Savior, 
not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that His blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of His favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. And when our relationship with God is right and, and our sins are confessed and, and we desire to live with Him, we open up our lives to that intimate fellowship with God and His blessing in our lives. Number four, life lesson number four is this. Confession and forgiveness does not always erase the consequences of sin. Notice Joshua didn't say, after Achan said, I I have sinned against God, and this is what I've done, and here's where the stolen goods are. He confessed his sin, but he still had to pay the consequences. And uh, even though there's there's forgiveness uh, uh, on a horizontal level and on a vertical level with God when we sin, uh, oftentimes we still have to pay the consequences because sin has consequences. Confession and forgiveness does not always erase the consequences of sin. Well, there's, there's one more, and I, I added it um, a little bit later in the week, so it's not up on the screen or in your notes. But um, this, this last one has to do with the severe punishment that Achan and his family experienced. And it's this. There is a day of severe judgment coming. We live in an age of grace. God's a merciful God. It says in 2 Peter 3.9, He's long-suffering, doesn't want anyone to perish, but He wants all to come to repentance. But there's a day coming when God is going to judge sin. He's going to judge the world. James chapter 5, verse 9, James writes 2,000 years ago, he said, the judge is standing at the door. He's talking about the Lord's coming. Jesus is coming back soon. He's not coming as as a babe in the manger. But this time he's coming on a white horse. There's going to be a day of wrath. And there's going to be a day of judgment. Read the book of Revelation. A seven-year period called the Great Tribulation when finally God begins to pour out His wrath and judgment on planet Earth. And there's seven seal judgments. There's seven trumpet judgments. There's seven bowl judgments. And, and I don't want to despair any way what is happening in Ukraine today, but th- that will be happening worldwide. That will seem like child's play. When God's wrath is poured out, on planet Earth. And so we read in Revelation chapter 6 about the, the seal judgments. It says, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. 
And so these judgments are poured out. Verse, verses 15 through 17 of Revelation 6. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? That's not a side of God that we often hear preached, unfortunately, but we need to hear it. Because there is a day of severe judgment that someday is coming that God will pour out His wrath on planet Earth. And what does that mean for us? Well, that means for us that number one, we, we better make sure we know Christ as our Savior. <laughs> we, we better know where our eternal destiny is. And you know, there's various different um, interpretations of the book of Revelation. You know, are believers going to go through this horrible time period or does God rapture the church out? Or, and there's like four different positions, pre-wrath, rapture, po- uh, mid-tribulation rapture, post-wrath rapture, pre-wrath rapture, um, just make sure you know Jesus. Uh, that's the mo- most important thing. But um, there's a day of wrath coming. And number one, we need to make sure we're ready. We need to make sure our loved ones are ready. How long has it been since you've been praying about maybe someone in your family that doesn't know Christ? I'd encourage you, um, there's a few steps the peace of God track out on our um, ministry table, and um, I, I um, try to use those um, as a way of just sharing, simple way of sharing with people the, the gospel message. Um, pick up one of those. I've got a lot more um, if we run out. Uh, boy, we need to make sure that our loved ones know Christ. And beyond that, we need to make sure that our friends and our extended family and, and those that God brings across our pathway, we must be sharing the good news of the gospel because the day of God's wrath is coming. Well, Joshua 7 and 8, the thrill of victory, or 6 and 7 rather, the thrill of victory, Joshua chapter 6, Jericho, the agony of defeat, Ai. But Israel deals with Achan's sin, and they, they are severely punished. And then we get into chapter 8, and God's blessing is on uh, Israel again. And uh, we'll look at uh, Joshua chapter 8 uh, either next Sunday or the Sunday after and see uh, uh, God uses the Israelites to conquer Ai. And guess what? If, if Achan would have just waited a little bit from that first battle in Jericho, God says, all right, you can have all the spoils you want. <laughs> Go ahead, once you conquer this city, you can have the gold, you can have the silver. God's timing's always perfect. And uh, Achan ran ahead. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together this morning. Lord, we are so thankful for um, your word. We're so thankful for Jesus who came to this world to be our Savior, our sin-bearer. Thank you for this wonderful gift called eternal life. Lord, may we not just keep it to ourselves, but may we share the good news of uh, 
the gospel with those that uh, you bring across our, our pathway. And so we thank you for the cross and thank you for what you've done. And Lord, uh, thank you for this uh, reminder today of uh, the seriousness of sin and, and perhaps uh, in the quietness of uh, our clothes today. Uh, maybe you're bringing something in our minds and hearts and we need to deal with it and we can just uh, uh, pray and, and, and confess that sin to you. Uh, maybe we need a little quiet time this afternoon to inventory our lives. Lord, may there be nothing between us and you and we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.